Good day to you all. Welcome to Generation Tech. I'm Todd Brinker. I'm joined, as always, by my dad, Jack. How are you today? Just fine, Todd. And you? Yeah, you're the Generation yeah. 1 on this show. I'm Generation 2. Occasionally, we have a Generation 3, but it's only been once in, once in a great while. That was our plan when we started this, was to occasionally have a, one of the third generation of our family join us, and it hasn't quite worked out that way. But uh, Yeah. Well, they're I don't know busy. If they just don't... They're young. Yeah, that's, prob- <laughs> that's probably the difference. Yeah. Well, and I don't think that there's anybody in that generation who has the same interest to do this, with the exception of one, and he does government work and is not comfortable doing a lot of talking on a podcast. So yeah. So and he's busy. Yeah, because because. because he's... The... Because yep. the kind of technology that he works on is classified, and he doesn't want to slip and right. know, say something he shouldn't. Right. It's better just to avoid the the chance of making a mistake and be- saying something. Be- because it's because it's undeniably true that yeah. all of us uh, know more about what we're, our job is, and sure. that's what's at the forefront of our minds. So it's sure. Not, How know, does that apply to me? Is why he might have an interest in technology in general in the first place. Even though we talk about yeah. we talk about you know commercially viable and and available technologies and stuff like that. I, I think that that's you know um, obviously not something that is. Uh, uh, of national security interest, but by the same token, I'm not necessarily sure it's of particular interest to him. So, you know, he's interested in the stuff that he does, and that's what he should be interested in, right? That's what he does. So, yeah. Anyhow, yeah. Yeah. so one, one of the, the the biggest thing I'd like to introduce before we get on to the stuff we've talked about previously uh, is that uh, to me, the biggest problem in the United States right now has to do with. How do we uh, store battery storage is is becoming a bigger thing all the time because uh, most most of the uh, major non uh, polluting yeah green uh, type of technologies to create yeah, energy all, all the all the green stuff uh, has big gaps in time yeah and so. The energy that's generated. The sun goes down every day. Solar only so works we have half a, a day, right? We, <laughs> we, yeah, we need to smooth out the availability mm-hmm. over 24 hours because it's uh, not necessarily 24 hours, but, you know, you, mm-hmm. you, but we don't individually use it 24 hours, but somebody does. <laughs> right. And nobody wants to plug anything in and say, oh, it's not working now. That's unacceptable, right? Right. Yeah. Well, and as we were talking about um, uh, last time, we were talking about some of the energy and the energy storage issues is that the um, uh, transmission of energy is ridiculously inefficient. And so we can generate, you know, gigawatts, you know, (laughs) to to quote a phrase from uh, from um, uh, the Back to the Future series. Right. The one point twenty one gigawatts. But yeah. You know, but well, by the time it gets out to the people, there's a lot less of it because of resistance in the lines and the wires and stuff. So I think that some of the best ideas for storage are storing it, you know, locally. Create yeah. it wherever you're going to create it, but then store it there so that you don't lose so much of it. Well, anyway, I 
not nothing is important as important today as being doable, and that somebody mm-hmm. is doing what they talk about. Right. And uh, in yeah, lots terms of good of, ideas, but but a lot of them are not even half baked because they're they're not in any practical use yet. But but the real ones, uh, the the best real uh, green source today is hydroelectric power, uh, and that's because at least for uh, most of the hydroelectrics that we have today, we still have water behind the dams, but that may go away. <laughs> I was going to say, on this end of the country, there's been all kinds of talk. One of the larger ge- electric generation plants is um, Hoover Dam in uh, outside of Las Vegas, and yeah. it has been fed by Lake Mead. Lake Mead is so far down that they've now found their fourth body that had been dumped in the lake. They're outside yeah. of Las Vegas, so, you know. And, and the, the other thing will. I the other thing I think I heard it on sixty minutes the other day is that at Lake Mead they actually anticipated this situation and they have a pump system so that they can actually ha- drain the lake completely drain it just for the sake of continuing hydroelectric power and this pump thing uh, will it it won't last forever I mean because you know it's it's Run a low lake to begin with. But for quite a while, and they didn't say how long, they can pump the water that still exists in the lake to keep the the, the power uh, systems going. Yeah. Well, realize the lake is fed by the Colorado River. That's what Lake Mead is, is it's a swelling right. of the Colorado River created by the dam. Um, but, you know, the, the Colorado River is fed by, you know, snowmelt from the Rockies. And yeah. if there's no snow... And there's no water. Yeah, but but anyway, I was unaware of this backup system, mm-hmm. uh, assuming that you know how low low does it have to get before the turbines shut down? You know. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, somebody had anticipated it and said, well, we can make them go a lot longer if we can just pump this water out. And so you use the power generated by the turbines to run these pumps, and they just keep sucking water and generating more power than they need to to run the turbines. Yeah. You know. So that that's an interesting concept, and it in fact exists. I found out. Interesting. Uh, now the other thing about the hydro is that I also this last week discovered that I think it was in New Hampshire, where they're actually using hydro power, but in a unique way, in the sense that they have a, uh, it, it, you know, you you have to look for the right geolog- geography in the area, but they have a mountain next to a river, so they have a natural running water source mm-hmm. there, but uh, it's not something that you can dam up at the bottom of the mountain uh, and uh, because of the population around it. So what they're doing is they're pumping water out of that uh, river up on the top of this mountain where they have created a large lake, okay? And then from that lake, they sculpted it in such a way that then the water can run out of that down into the inside of the mountain where they have this power generating station, much like they put into a man-made dam like Hoover Dam. Uh, and so it's right inside the mountain. And so while they're uh, 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 pumping the stuff up uh, using some of the energy, uh, they're actually, you know, generating more than than they're using 
in order to uh, to use the mm. same uh, potential energy in store in just the water moving by by gravity feed uh, down into the mountain, and then they pump it back to the top. You know, mm-hmm. so it's it's a it's an interesting idea, but you have to have some continuing source of water because it it's going to evaporate and all of that, some sure. leakages. So they supplement that from the river and uh you know once they got the 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 thing filled and and i guess it's in operation today they showed people actually in these tunnels like going into the mountain so what they're saying is they they have a they have pumps that are efficient enough that they don't use more energy than they create yes now i don't have a number that or at least i don't remember a number from that show because it's you know, going by, and I just didn't get it and write it down. But uh, it's just how efficient that system is. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it is using hydroelectric power, but in a non-traditional way. Right. You know, it makes you wonder if they were able to uh, enclose the system. In other words, basically put pipes going back up the mountain. That well, they've got pipes pumping up, but if they had pipes to have the water flow back down as well. And, and a reservoir at the top in the form of a large tank, so it's fully enclosed, then they don't have to worry about um, uh, any evaporation. If they've got a fully clothed, closed system, can they do that and generate enough power to, to make it worthwhile? Well, I... Then you've got 24-hour uh, power. It's not closed. Right, it's but I'm saying, enclosed. could they do that? Could you build that? If that technology works the way it is, uh, I, they I'm could sure make it more efficient, right? I'm sure they could. They probably discerned that this this is a quite a large lake, you know. Right. And so this this is more than just a tank, <laughs> you know. To cover that would be very costly because it's acres and acres of 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 a lake. Right. You know. So it's yeah. a man-made lake at at an altitude that's sufficient to give you the energy that you potential energy mm-hmm. that you need, and then it's recycling this water. Right. Uh, but in so realistically, process, this is a gravity generator. Yeah, it's it's a it's a gravity generator, and I I don't know uh, whether they do most of the pumping at night when they don't need it. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, energy always has a usage cycle based on the community that you live in. So there's a time in the in the overall cycle when you're consuming electricity, right? And then there's a time when you, I mean, you don't want to turn on the big pumps during that time, right? You pump pump it when the demand is low. And so uh, they they did say that. Yeah, because otherwise uh, that's energy that's just wasted, right? Like like a, a typical hydroelectric dam, um, right. you know, at nighttime, a lot of energy is just wasted. You know, either they don't generate it, they turn the generators off, so they're not creating it because they don't need it. Yeah. Um, or they they just don't use it because it's there's no way to store it in a typical hydroelectric. Um, yeah. It- and in fact, that's the key to the success of and the efficiency of this overall thing. It's demand-based, because you know you once you turn turn those generators all of them on, mm-hmm. they they'll shut down generators as they uh, when they don't need them. Right. Know? Yeah, which and I think is probably typical to be more efficient. But yeah. even more efficient is if you've got you know e- efficient pumps that you can run when you're not using that electricity to put water back behind the dam or behind the generation system, whatever it might be. I'm thinking again in terms of Lake Mead and and Hoover Dam, that they might be able to retrofit that. Um, 
And, and I would say, you know, well, at nighttime when they're not using as much energy, but realize that a large, uh, the, one of their largest energy consumers is, is Las Vegas, which is just a few miles away. Yeah, it's and a 24-hour day. <laughs> I was gonna say, anybody who's been to Las Vegas knows those lights are on 24-7. The whole city is, is uh, you know, it's, it's called Glitter Gulch for a reason, boy. It's lit up. So Yeah. In fact, you know, it almost reversed the normal city cycle there. During the daytime, there's nothing really going on, but most of the people were up all night, so they're, yeah. they're in bed. Well, yeah. <laughs> or yeah. Long, I was going to say, what's going know? on in, during the daytime that uses energy is air conditioning. But, yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, all the light. But but unlike most places, then as, as the sun goes down, the lights come on, and that place is is uh but, is but lit up. all i'm saying is it, it it's atypical mm-hmm. you know you got to think that their use has gone way down too with the advent of led lights that most of those lights have probably been replaced over the years because the savings is enormous oh yeah you know so those yeah. casinos went hey we can save tons of money by by swapping out all these bulbs yep i expect they are or or, or maybe more of it still going on you know as the fish uh the lighting gets more and more efficient because right. all that's all that has has only been going on for maybe 15 or 20 years i i don't know mm-hmm. you know exact dates here but uh, you know it's it's fairly recent that that uh, we can get the efficiencies that we're you know we get right. out of uh, yeah and and things are improving all the time so i'm sure it's one of those right. things that uh you know, they've probably got people who measure that stuff and look at the, ch- the changes in, in the technologies and the availability of it and say, well, is the cost of uh, of implementing something that's more efficient, you know, what's what's the the time to pay off? If, you know, if we if we spend a million dollars replacing bulbs, you know, do we save a million dollars? How long does it take us to save a million dollars? Yeah. You know, well, and you that, know, that's it, when they pull the trigger. It, it's historically been neon. Neon is still pretty good technology for light bulbs you know yeah yeah and, they, it, and it's colorful and it's shapely and and all mm-hmm. the other things so well i think that the smaller signs were neon the larger ones if you go to vegas the, there's not that many neon signs out there and hasn't been for years just because yeah. uh their signs are now the size of buildings you right. know they're they're out in front of their their casinos and stuff i mean you know neon is usually smaller uh installations i don't think they've ganged lots of neon together but they did in the 50s and 60s but uh through most of my life i think those have been you know incandescent bulbs and then whatever they've transitioned to since then and my guess is is a lot of it's a lot of it's um um now led i know that the the big pyramid hotel the um uh luxor um when it opened had this huge like spotlight shining straight up into the sky, and you could see right. it for miles. And at one point, because of the cost of doing that, they shut that down or, or lowered its intensity for a while. And then they've re- I was reading a while back, they've replaced that light now a couple times with newer technology that is much more efficient so that they can keep doing it such as, since it's you know iconic for that hotel. Yeah. And uh, and that's a big deal in Vegas, you know. What can you do to make your location look iconic compared to other locations, right? And you know, first of all, their their hotel is a giant pyramid, and then this beam of light that looks like it's going out to the you know to space. Uh, and in fact, I think that was one of their pitches was, yeah, this could be seen from space. This light, yeah. And but, so, by the way, if you're looking at the uh, uh, the message that I sent you, the video on the on the it's called titled the huge weird batteries of the future it it uh on the front 
of mine, it shows the picture on top of a mountain, and mm -hmm. it's the whole mountaintop that's basically a, a lake. Right. But it's a man-made Right. Like, you know. Basically, they, they lopped the top off of a mountain or used a volcano, uh, a, 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 a quiet volcano that has has a big, big, big hole in the top of it is what it kind of looks yeah. like. Yeah, yeah there, were, there were no discussions in the article as to how they constructed it and all. It was basically yeah. just uh, yeah. the technology of generation and recycling the water. Yeah. But in our conversations in the past, we've talked about that for a long time as being one of the most efficient ways is just, you know, pump water up somewhere. And then when the water yeah. comes down, you can turn turn a wheel and yeah. generate electricity. Well, you know, yeah. that's been going on in America forever. Everywhere you see a water tower, but those, exactly. of course, are small small towns. And this right. is scaled up to be a, a monster thing because it's in a pretty densely populated right. part of New Hampshire. Yeah. Uh, well, and this is, this is not necessarily designed for uh, providing drinking water, although it can do that secondarily. Its primary reason for setting it up this way was to store ener energy yeah. so that they could then generate electricity when they needed it so right so yeah well and again sounds great if you got plenty of water if you tried to sell something like that in california right now we'd be going going are you crazy you're telling <laughs> us we can't water our yards and and you know we, we, i mean you get fined if you water on the wrong day in la right now um yeah you know it's it's there's rationing going on <laughs> they're not gonna say yeah let's pump a bunch of water up into a pond on top of a big hill but anyway, I was excited to find a, a, a large-scale uh, example that's in operation today. You know, yeah. it's real. That's the now, key. And, that's the key is it actually is being used today. So, you know, yeah. what I would love to hear is hear a critic talk about why, what are the inefficiencies of it? Why, why are there, you know, what are the alternates, you know? Well, and, and in fact, in considering a site, you know, you need to say what, what the head... I think that's the word terminology used for the depth of the water and how high it comes down in order, you know, the higher it, the elevation, the more potential energy you get right. out of something. Mm -hmm. So uh, you'd have to play with those equations to sort out uh, whether you have a natural uh, elevation in, mm -hmm. in, in your local vicinity that could capture enough or be mm -hmm. able to hold enough water. Water. Hey, we got a big yeah. lake sitting on the mountains just north of where I am. Big Bear Lake and Lake Arrowhead are up there. But I, my guess is, is that the people who spent lots of money to buy houses on the around that lake would be very, very unhappy if people started pumping water out of that lake. <laughs> well, that's that's true. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, we pump it back at night. You know. <laughs> yeah. But but the fact is is that you know because of it sitting high it has some elevation and mm -hmm. as long as you restored the water you you kept cycling it right but but in order to make that happen it was really important uh, when I mentioned that there was a down at the lower level there's a river running by that mountain so that it's, mm -hmm. this was replenishable all the time you you, you were assured of some uh, source of water yeah going that, into the river that that you could capture and and put it up to that elevation. Yeah. And you know? I, my, my, my belief or understanding is, is that in this particular case, that mountain lake, and well, both those mountain lakes are, you know, made from snowmelt. And yeah. so there's not like a constant um, water source filling the lake. 
Yeah, and we know the San Bernardino Valley that's below it uh, doesn't have any big rivers. They have a dry wash. Oh, they have the mighty <laughs> Santa Ana. Come on. Ah, <laughs> uh, You've ever seen the Santa Ana? Yeah. The water's there, but it's under the sand. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I, I've walked across the Santa Ana on several occasions. <laughs> so, yeah, you can, you can see the water at the surface you know, in a few spots if you look well, carefully. I was going to say, um, at least in the area that I live in, as it comes through um, Norco and and gets down to, well, Prado Dam stops it up there, but there there's water in it. It's running all the time. Yeah, yeah, you know? I know. I mean, it's... It's, it's, it's a what, subsurface. It, well, it's, it's on the surface. You see water running there, but you see it, 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 it would usually be what a lot of the country would refer to it as a brook or a stream. <laughs> yeah. It's called the Santa Ana River, but it's, it's, you know, it's, I don't think there's a spot of it in there that is probably so deep that I would be worried about walking across it. Um, you know, if I I was worried about walking across it, it would be more because of slipping and getting wet than, than, you know, it washing me away. It's not, there's not that much water there. You know, it's a snow fed too thing. So I'm, I'm saying, where is the snow? Well, most rivers are at some point, but yeah. (laughs) Where where is the snow that feeds the Santa Ana? You know, can you drive up the mountains and, and touch it? Yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, there are uh, like, I don't think you can right now, but there's the, a good chunk of the year. If you look at the um, at the uh, east end of the San Bernardino Valley, the big mountain down there, um, and I'm blanking on the name of it. Uh, it has snow on it for a good chunk of the year. And that's the source, you know. Yeah. The one north of Palm Springs. Yeah. Yeah. that That's the highest mountain, I think. Yeah. Mount San Gregonio. Go. That's it. Eleven thousand four hundred ninety-nine feet. Oh, come on! They couldn't give it one more foot. And and so you'd have to look on the north side uh, of the mountain and, and yeah. you'll see it. That yeah, way. and see, I live on the south side. So, but but even on the south side, you can see snow a good chunk of the year. Um, yeah. You know, at least some years. And you know, it's it, and obviously when you get into July and August, it's you you can't see it at least from this side. But yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I don't know. They've been getting rain recently there and uh, and uh, over in Idlewild. You know, Mount San Jacinto is ten thousand eight hundred eighty three feet or eight eight thirty three. Yeah, yeah, ten thousand eight hundred thirty three. Yeah, yeah. That's the other thing amazing about this year is at the same time that you're having big fires and stuff because of the dryness in one part of the country, in other parts of the country they're getting these flash floods and uh-huh. and. You know, where you would least expect it even in some of them, uh, in, I think, Arizona. Wasn't there a flash flood there? And, of course, there's one over in Kentucky and, you know, just different spots that sort of get stuck under this downpour. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, anyway. Yeah. We've had monsoonal weather. There's been a couple storms off of the coast, and so we've been overcast and, and, uh, and high humidity, at least for us. Um but still temperatures right around a hundred. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, the, uh, the, because of the things that are happening in California and the lack of water, I also, as you can see, had an interest in everybody's ways to produce water. And the most interesting one that I found is a, uh, commercial system that you can actually buy and it comes from a company in Tempe, Arizona, uh-huh. uh, which is, is a, a good place to be to do this. And apparently they, they're efficient enough that they can generate, uh, I, th- 
I think it was eight to ten gallons of water a day out yeah. of the air in Tempe, Arizona. Yeah, air and, to water. And, and Tempe, Arizona, for those of you who aren't aren't you know familiar with the geography and stuff, is the desert. It's a pretty dry place. There's not. Yeah, it it, is. It's not like living in you know somewhere in Alabama where there's you know ninety percent humidity all summer. But so. but the, what I thought was the cool thing about it is the pumping system to uh, to use this air to water uh, process is all solar generated and the solar panel comes as a part of this overall structure mm -hmm. that they send you. Uh, it's a solar panel that has a two, uh, an area on each side of it where it actually uh, uses the sunlight as well, just as part of the heating versus the cooling uh, uh, um, and dehumidifying system. I, I don't know what you refer to that other side as, but that's the, where the plumbing is. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, out of that system and underneath the panel, when you install it, you install it to face the sun. And uh, in the shade behind it is a place where there's a storage tank so that the produced water goes into that big plastic tub. And, and if you want, you can attach the plumbing so it actually goes right down into your home if you put it on your roof, you know. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, it, uh, the problem with it even though it was an actual working commercial system, was the price. It's, it's obviously not selling in quantity or they'd get the prices down. Right. But because as the demand maybe increases, then that'll change. But at least it's a, it's a working system that if you uh, live out there, you'd say, well, you'll pay for it, I think they said, in eight or ten years, something like that, depending uh, on how much you, you use it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, and it's 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 one of those things too. Again, it's solar driven, so it generate you know it runs during the day, right? So you have to then that's right. not use water at night. And you think about it, you said eight to ten gallons. Okay, yeah. that's probably enough for drinking water. That's not enough to flush all your toilets, do your laundry, uh, wash your dishes, and water your lawn. Yeah, but but still, that's really important. It's yeah. Drinking water is number number one. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Now, you, you don't have drinking water, then the rest of You know what's interesting, too, is I was reading, and, of course, I'm not as well-traveled enough to know the, the, the specifics, but apparently large portions of the world, they are actually double-plumbed. And so they a lot of places have a gray water uh, system so that what you use in your toilets and stuff is not drinking water. You use, you know, yeah. you're not flushing good water. You're flushing gray water, wastewater, or, or you know, slightly processed water. So it's a lot less expensive. But yeah. the U.S. didn't build their infrastructure that way. Yeah, that's right. Uh, there are some RVs that are configured like that now too. Yeah, uh, it's more efficient. Anyway, uh, the other thing I was going to finish telling the story about this water generating system is it it. Uh, produces water that is tastes like bottled water mm -hmm. okay so it's uh, obviously if you de dehydrate it or uh and generate it that way you're talking about uh it's a distillation uh, water just yeah distilled water which right. tastes awful and flat well and, and it so also they, so, leaches minerals from your body you're not supposed to drink distilled water right and anyway they have a uh, a cartridge in this system that has to be replaced uh, once a year, I think they said. But the guys, one of the negatives that uh, of the guy who tried it out in, in Tempe said that when you replace first replace the cartridge, it takes about two weeks before it really gets to the stage of being like bottled water. 
prior to that, he said it was too citrusy. And I, you know, don't really know what that means, but uh -huh. the, the, the whatever it is that comes out of the cartridge, like most things, it takes a while to stabilize. Yeah. And, and it's and like get, when you put a water filter in the first, they always say, you know, dump a gallon, the first gallon that comes through because it's going to have bits of, of the filter material in it. Yeah. And most water filters have carbon in it. So you can see the black kind of look to right. the water that it's taken out of the filter. So mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you could see this stuff or not. But anyway, he he didn't like the taste of the water for about a couple of weeks. Interesting. So that's a lot of water wasted, you know, that. Uh, yeah. Well, it's interesting. Uh, I just did a quick search, and you can buy uh, air water generators on Amazon. And uh, a couple of them are even packaged with a solar panel. Like um, the. Well, that's probably the one I, I saw on the YouTube here. There. Yeah, there's the EcoFlow Solar Generator River Pro, uh, and it's 900 bucks. Now, there's a more yeah. advanced one for. You know, nineteen hundred bucks. And well, there's... that's the other thing that'll bring the price down is that I, I think this was a six thousand dollar one. Was I don't know when the movie was made, but it mm -hmm. was a couple of years ago. Uh, so there'll be competition. Yeah, as, I and, mean, uh, for twenty three hundred bucks, there's the New Water Thirty atmospheric generator generates eight gallons a day. No plumbing, no piping. Provides hot and cold water. Oh, hot and cold, huh? Yeah. So, so yep. that, but my guess is I'm looking at that one. I think that one just plugs in. So if you wanted to attach it to solar, then you'd have to get your own solar system to run it. Ah, uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, good old private enterprise is yeah. coming around and they'll, they'll solve this problem in a pretty good way. I think before very long, if, if they say, haven't already. I think I shared with you that I've got a, uh, uh, a portable air conditioner that I can push around from room to room and, you know, run the pipe out the window for the, to vent the hot air. And mm -hmm. I can I can attach a hose to the back of it and put its condense condensate into a five gallon bucket, and the only downside is you got to keep an eye on that bucket because it keeps creating whether you empty the bucket or not. Um, uh, yeah, and it created a, a shockingly large amount of water in a short period of time till I realized that that was an optional system and that it would actually just blow the condensate outside if you wanted it to. And so, you know, and so I went, oh, well, maybe I should use that method instead of having to worry about this dumb bucket that I forgot one time. You know, all you do is forget it one time and it over, you know, spills onto your floor. And then you're like, oh, what a mess. So um, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> but uh, but I thought it was pretty interesting. And that was, you know, there was a lot of water there. And at first, I, the first time I did it, I went and just dumped it in the in the bathtub and got rid of it. And the next time I went, well, wait a minute, I got a bunch of water here. I can throw that in the garden. You know, it's like, why? Yeah. Why? I've got free water <laughs> just, or not free, but I've already paid for this water. I generated it. So yeah. uh, so it was like, OK, well, I'll go water my plants and, you know, use that use that water. Yeah. So. so, so anyway, uh, it's uh, interesting that there's some uh, various solutions uh, as well as the desalinization, which has been around quite a long time now. But it's mm -hmm. it's a government kind of level solution that for, for you because that's an expensive system, but it produces a lot more water and uh, uh, just gets rid of a lot of salt, you know. Mm hmm. Yeah. Now, uh, I think we've kind of covered all the water and electric power generation from water. 
uh-huh. ideas. Uh, kind of switch here now to yes. I, I found a couple cars that are uh, the first time I've ever seen them put solar cells on cars. And a lot of people always ask that question, and mm-hmm. I kind of poo-pooed it. But uh, you know the what? Fact is, there was a Mitsubishi car back in the '80s that had solar cells built into the roof. And what the solar cells did is they didn't do anything with running the car. But when you parked the car, the solar cells would work um, a series of vents and fans to keep the car cool for you. It was Mitsubishi. And I thought that was a, to me, that was a genius idea, but it never went anywhere. But, you know, living in Southern California, you get into a car and sometimes it's an uncomfortable experience between wearing shorts on, on you know, black seats and yeah. uh, and touching a steering wheel that's so hot you can't touch it. Um, you know, anything that could take the temperature down inside the vehicle, um, well, I thought was a... Well, and, I, I think I have a good solution to that. I have, I'm one of these, have one of those cars that the entire roof slides back. Right. And, of course, that leaves it unlocked. Yeah, you know? well, and 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 having it all open doesn't necessarily make it cool, you know, or comfortable. You know, well, you it, need to. It you makes, need to, it makes this, a big difference. It, what this thing did is, and of course, you know, when it's a hundred degrees out, there's not much you can do. But your car is like a greenhouse. If it's a hundred degrees out, the inside of the car is 170. And yeah. so what this did is it actually sucked air out from the shady part of the car underneath and blew it through the car. And it had That's, fans that blew like on the seating and on the steering wheel, so that when you got in, those seating surfaces were the most comfortable they could possibly be, given the situation. Ab- absolutely, I was going to say that's the only thing that's missing in mine is that it doesn't have a, a fan to suck it out from the bottom. Mm-hmm. But uh, that wouldn't be that hard to do, I don't think, if somebody just thought of it. Yeah. But but it would sell like hotcakes in Southern California, I think. You know, I mean, yeah. it'd be a selling. Was, a big selling point. Yeah, you know, at least. well, I, that's why I was surprised that this this thing didn't take off more with the Mitsubishi because I thought that was a cool idea when I first heard it back then. Um, and it was, you know, it it had a sunroof that would crack itself open, but it was more than just a sunroof because it actually had like exhaust fans, like the little muffin fans that are on computers that would blow the hot air out the top or suck the hot air out the top, you know, which then created a vacuum inside and pull the cooler end from the bottom, and uh, you know the whole concept to me was just like oh well why isn't everybody doing that <laughs> you know the only other thing yeah. that i always thought that they should do and maybe they do this or don't do this because of safety and, and there's probably regulations about it but you know there are um uh glass panels that can automatically like uh dim themselves or 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 block sunlight you know yeah and so I was always surprised that they didn't have those on the car. So when you park the car, the windows all just go opaque so that it's not, uh, you know, acting like a greenhouse so much. But I can see if you're driving down the street and suddenly the windows go opaque because there's a, you know, something goes wrong, you know, <laughs> I can see where that might be a problem. Yeah, at least the front window, you know. Yeah. Now, there's a, there are a lot of people who have, in fact, as a kid, uh my brother and I had the uh, uh, film put on the back windows of our car, you know, right. our side windows. Yeah. But but you couldn't do that on either the front or the rear win- windows because of state law. Right. You know? Yeah. I did that as well when I was in high school with car. Well, even when I was out of high school with car, I did it with one of my cars. Um, yeah. You know, and, and it, it did keep the car cooler. Um, yeah. 
but uh, you know, it's. I think, and and if you look at it, a lot of manufacturers now tint the windows. You know, maybe not as dark as we did when you know, you know when you were a kid. You want them blacked out, right? But yeah. uh but yeah. but they're tinting them now. You know, they're darker than they used to be. They're not just clear glass. Um, yeah. For that very reason, to try to cut down on the um, the UV rays that heat the car up. Well, anyway, there's a car called Lightyear Zero, and I sent you. There's a YouTube uh-huh. on that, on that, and uh, the the idea here was, I think it all started with a concept car. You know, it was a very expensive, uh-huh. one of a kind sort of deals, but they attacked every aspect of efficiency. The whole idea was to make your car as efficient as you could make it in terms of aerodynamics, in terms of uh, power generation, uh, because it's an electric car. So therefore, they covered the hood and the roof with solar panels. And that was then it was set up. Oh, and by the way, it was lightweight. I forgot the storage mechanism right now, but all of the, the, the battery selection in the car was based on a, a significant uh, part was given to reduced weight of the of the storage cells, and uh, and fiberglass used throughout because instead of steel, so it it dealt with every aspect of of efficiency in terms of the overall car design. Now the problem with those kinds of cars is it ended up seems to me with about a seventy thousand eighty thousand dollar vehicle. You know when they actually produced uh, one or two of them. I don't know how many are built. But uh, anyway, this is kind of referred to by lots of people in terms of a real overall solution because, in fact, it beat the heck out of, uh, except in the price arrange, uh, arena, beat, beat out everything Tesla has in terms of range uh, and all of that. And that's because it addressed all the aspects of it. Now, to some degree, Tesla's addressed aerodynamics, but not to the extent that these guys did. And, right. You know, wind tunnels and all this stuff to test and make it happen. Yeah. Well, uh, I think and, wind tunnels have been used for car design for quite a few years now, but they always, you know, balance the total uh, dedication to to slipping through the air against what does it look like, how do we sell it, and then ease of use for the, the consumer, you know, and yeah. production. Right. Oh, I was going to say one of the uh, things they spent a lot of time in the video on was the motors for the wheels. Uh, basically, it's an integrated uh, hub uh, that is much smaller than the than the electric motors that you can get on any of the Teslas or anybody else's mm-hmm. vehicle. They've really mastered having this concentric motor. Right. That that. So they go uh, what and, zero to, zero to sixty in three months. <laughs> I, I I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I joke. Right I'm actually looking at a Motor Trend article on the vehicle, and it's uh, goes uh, zero to sixty-two in about ten seconds. So you're you're sub ten seconds, nine something for zero to. 60. Anyway, anyway, it's a very light vehicle because they right. worked. This is part of the weight problem is building that motor, so you didn't have a lot of uh, extra stuff that you didn't really need there. Uh-huh. You know, right. And and even the the tread and the wheel the the tire design is is all for efficiency. They they've worked like I said every element, yeah. which is the, which is what impresses me. I'm being a system engineer. I'm saying if you want to do something, you know, work on all the aspects so that so that you really get the the, the best efficiency. And so that's what they calculated the overall efficiency numbers. 
and compared them to some approximated numbers that, that you get with other EVs. But then after I saw that car, then I read another article about the super cheap solar-powered car. And basically, they, they're selling this on the idea that you can have it make money for you uh, because uh, it's got solar panels on it, but it's obviously not very effective in many respects because they show them on the side of the door. You know, if the solar sitting in the shade is not going to do you any good, you know? Yeah. Uh, the, the, so, uh, but anyway. Get out and it, turn the car around. <laughs> what what they did with a super cheap car is they picked the, the key things that were, uh, in terms to make it, the focus was on cheapness. Mm-hmm. So they took the various aspects that you can have in solar-powered cars and, and emphasized all of those to make this low-cost car. And I think they got it under 25000 you know, because uh-huh. people saying that, you know, people can't afford a solar car. Well, here's one you can. Right. Yeah. Now that, well, this... this uh... The only thing, I didn't, only thing I didn't like about the article is they seem to only talk about purchase price. And I want to know, if, it's, if we're talking cheap, what the life cycle cost is of the car, you know? Right. Because if it's so cheap that it's a piece of junk and two weeks later it doesn't work, it's right. useless, you know? Well, and like people say, too, you know, you, 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 the battery cars right now without subsidies are significantly more expensive than gas engine cars to purchase up front. And then at some point, the batteries don't hold a charge anymore. And then you've got the, you know, the cost of a whole new car just to, re- to replace the batteries. Assuming yeah. that the batteries that you want to replace are still being made in the company that you bought them from is still, you know, in a, out there replacing batteries. So yeah, now I did read an article in a paper, or or maybe it was online, about the fact that the new law that they just passed, or they just they just the other day got one for solar uh, uses, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or clean energy or whatever. Uh, that there was going to be money, more money in there for EVs. They're going to subsidize the EV makers in some way, but right. uh, but many models do not apply. So it's very model specific as to how they wrote the bill. Right. Well, and what I they did know. is they said the cost of it. So it's the the vehicles like for for sedans they have to be under forty thousand dollars, and for uh, trucks it's under like eighty thousand dollars, something like that. And so. Um, uh, the high-end fancy schmancy cars that 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 are you know sold as luxury vehicles aren't going to get those subsidies, and that was that was intended in order to try to force them to build cars that are yeah, lower price. Drive ranges. the cost down. Yeah, yeah, that was what that was. The um, you know, and that went. It's passed through the Senate. Now it's going to go to the House, um, and so you know. That's expected to pass the House, so we'll see what happens with it shortly. But they put like oh. three hundred and twenty thousand or three hundred twenty um, uh, million dollars er, er, into, or is it billion dollars? No, three hundred twenty. I thought this was two hundred. It was seven hundred eighty billion. So three hundred twenty-five billion of it was was subsidizing uh, further development of uh, green energy sources, pri- primarily um, uh, solar. So they're going to be building more solar farms, which, again, is great half the day, you know, which, you know, I get it. In a lot of places, that's when we need the power. That's when our peak is, is during the day. So it, it real, you know, it's it's you've got to match the the power generation to the to the use pattern. Right. 
And right. so solar does a good job of that for for most things, you know. Yeah. I know in yeah. my, my area, the uh, the in fact, I think it was a California state law that they passed recently saying that um, traditionally you you paid for electricity on a tiered system so that up to a certain number of kilowatts each month you paid one rate and then when you went to the net you know if when you went over that then you paid another rate and then if you went over that you paid like a a how dare you use all this electricity rate which there was significantly more and yeah. they've recently gone to a thing where now it's not tiered like that it is uh it's it's based on the hours of the day so it's like the old phone system. There's certain times when you can use it. Yeah. And so what they're doing is they're trying to discourage people using electricity between 4 p.m. and 9 p.m. Right. And so that's when it's expensive. So if you shut everything off between 4 p.m. and 9 p.m., you know. Well, l- let me tell you the downside of that. I just also uh, mm-hmm. heard uh, or read an article about why people don't want to go back to work in their offices. Okay. And every. The big, the number one thing is, is I don't have to drive, right? You know, and that's cost too much to drive. So the whole everybody's being discouraged from working in offices now, yeah. and they're saying, you know, how that for the country, the bottom line of that is that to to a certain extent that is harming business in a way mm-hmm. that makes us less competitive than the rest of the world, because there's a lot of jobs where you really have to go into work. Yeah. You know, and 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 therefore that's going to cost those people, and therefore you got to pay the extra wages for transportation, which is much more expensive than it was before COVID. You know, mm-hmm. but COVID yeah, it's come down. That, but I don't know how it is there. It's come down, a, a, you know, a lot from its highest prices. But I'm still paying five dollars a gallon for gas, a little over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but but and there are a lot of reasons, other reasons beyond that why people aren't going back to work. I mean, first of all, they just a lot of people discovered that. Hey, there's better things I can do that can make online businesses. They those uh, jumped when COVID came because people were looking for ways to make money from home, you know, uh, because that was they couldn't go in, and they and they didn't want to go in be around all those infected people. So uh, they don't even want to go through that hassle again. They don't want to be put in an environment where they can get sick, and so they're saying. Don't tell me I have to go to the office. I'm not going to work if I'm not going to, you know, if that's the way it's going to be. I got other things I can do. Yeah. So anyway, it's it's an interesting problem. And in fact, they've got a, as a, there was a guy, an author uh, that you'd probably recognize, uh, Gold. I was going to say Goldfarb, but that's not right. But anyway, the guy just recently wrote a book on why people should go into the office to work because they want to be a part of something. There's a satisfaction. Yeah, there's, a, there's a human need for socializing, and and when we all isolate, that's not healthy. <laughs> so he made he made the case, and that, the article was, I think, mostly about his yeah. book, uh, cases for why society mm-hmm. needs to have people go to work. Because it's yeah. it's getting so bad. That, well, you know uh, what? If we don't go into work and we don't socialize, then it's hard to develop empathy for other people. Yeah, and yeah, it's probably. very hard socially as a as a society to have empathy for other needs other than your own. If all you ever interact with is your own, yep. you know. Yep. So. So 
so I'm sure there's a long list of reasons, pro and con. Mm -hmm. And uh, at this point, anyway, uh, it's probably important to have a book like that out there and and, uh, have people at least consider what they're missing, you know? Look for your book from (laughs) Goldfarb. Yeah, it's not the wrong, the wrong name. <laughs> I'll be embarrassed because I can't. I, yeah, I Malcolm Gladwell, maybe? Gladwell, that's it. Gladwell. Ah, okay, yeah. The G part of is like gold grow. Gladwell, that's probably who it is. I knew it started Gladwell. with a G. Yeah. I enjoy his writing. He writes about uh, interesting things from a different take, you know, um, than than the standard person. He, he, he uh, you know, takes the idea of an economist uh, and says, you know, it's it's like, well, here's if you really look at the numbers, we all assume this. But if you look at what's actually happening here, here's what's the, the cause and effect, not the, you know, mm-hmm. uh, not the the assumption. And he looks for things that that fit that mold that are like not obvious. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, his uh, his thinking sometimes I think is very enlightening. It's kind of like the guys who did the Freakonomics books too. You know, they they're yeah. good good at writing, but also uh, taking uh, a look at what's really going on and, and and pointing that out to people. You know, yep. like a good comedian. You know, you look at what's really going on and point it out to people. Well, that's why free speech is so important. I'm I'm also been reading articles on the comedians com- and and their complaints about how people are putting them out of business or trying to yeah you know it's it's really a shame shameful what's going on yeah you're not allowed uh, to say anything funny because you might hurt somebody's feelings yeah and 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 even i mean the one the today's big biggie was that uh there was a couple i guess they were based a, a guy who was a coach uh that that quit his job because he read aloud uh, the punchline for a, a, a racist joke, uh-huh. and and uh, I, f- I forgot what it was now. I'll tell you, but anyway, it it was yeah. a, just a simple little two-liner, right? Uh, but without and, knowing the context, you know, it's hard to say whether I agree or disagree. But I think too too often what's happening in society right now is, you know, the the sense that somebody might have had their feelings hurt, and is is not enough to explain the punishments that are being levied sometimes. It seems like there's a way overreaction to things. Yeah. You know, and I'm not saying that you should be allowed free free gratis to say things that hurt people's feelings either. But by this, you know, it, it, it context is everything. You know, if you're paying money to go see a comedian in a uh, you know, on a stage entertain you or yeah. you know the comedians historically have have talked about things that are controversial and 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 well, he, you know spent pe- people uh, used to, people used to go to a show to I forgot the guy's name now his his whole shtick was insulting people yeah, Don Rickles Remember? it was a Rickles, yeah. yeah it was an absolute <laughs> uh you know you went there and hoped that he would get to pick on you you know i mean yeah. you know it it was sort of a privilege for Don Rickles to target you yeah that's you know? right that was the thing, you know, and, you know, he, he couldn't exist in today's environment, you know, the way Trump, it's going Trump, on. Trump, Trump does the same, but none of it's funny. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> that's right. You've got to learn to be a, com- you know, a, a comedian yeah, yeah, is a skill. You, yeah, how, how you say it matters. <laughs> yeah, again, context, right? Context yeah. is everything. Yeah, just insulting people doesn't necessarily mean you're funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, 
So, so um, one of the other things you talked about with energy storage, which is one that I thought was kind of interesting, is um, uh, the idea of uh, mobile storage, you know, in the cars. Right now we're using uh, – the electric. most electric vehicles are using um, – uh, batteries. They're using lithium-ion batteries. Seems to be the right. current uh, most efficient way of doing that. But you know, as anybody who's flown on an airplane knows, there there's a lot of paranoia about lithium-ion batteries because they've got so much energy stored that they don't always control it well. And yeah. you know, any little crack or leak between the cells inside of a, li- a lithium-ion battery can result in a fire and/or explosion. And so you're not allowed to put lithium-ion batteries in your in your packed luggage. You have to have it in carry-on so that if something starts to happen, they can see it and deal with it, you know? Yeah. Um, in and, fact, you know, I thought about that recently because there's a lot of uh, mobile systems that are new to the scene. Like I, I, I'd ride a scooter, as you know, electric scooter, because I mm-hmm. have leg problems. But I wanted to get a wheelchair, which uh, is lighter and in order to be lighter, it uses the lithium batteries versus the ones that the, that I have on my battery, scooter. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. my scooter is 100 over 100 pounds, so it's not something you can throw in the uh, luggage compartment. You know, right? Uh, but anyway, uh, these uh, lithium batteries are certified to, to meet federal standards for transportation. So, right. But but uh, I it it tells you you can take them on the plane. It doesn't say that you have to throw them in the uh, overhead compartment right so I, I was concerned about how big that would be and how much difficulty that would be just to take that out of the i mean it's it's, it's easy to take out of the chair and fold up the chair but uh i i still want to see it the physical size so i know how much they're you know how right. big a chunk i got to haul right well they would probably if it's certified for the by the faa that means that they can check it as checked luggage and what they do is and every airport has this is they've got you know like bellman that'll wheel they've got wheelchairs there they'll wheel you up and get you in the plane and get you off the plane and then they'll bring your wheelchair to you so they can yeah. like gate check it so you 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 take it to the gate and then you transfer from the from the and their their wheelchairs are specifically designed to fit down that stupid aisle so they can get you on the plane to your seat. Yeah, yeah, they're they're just manual chairs, no motors in them. Right. But they've got those to get you on and off the plane and then your your chair, you know, would be gate checked. So you go to the gate and then they take it and put it underneath. I I I probably would never use it on a on an airplane because uh if there was an emergency or something and a plane crashed, I'd never be able to get out of the crash you know so uh, oh, i mean let's so face I've it how many that, how many times do commercial airplanes crash i mean you know there's not that many well, of them thank god but how many does anybody walk away from come on that's that that's that's true but i i sort of thought that trains sounded better to me yeah yeah <laughs> now, they crash too but you know they yeah. usually get the better of the deal <laughs> so Whatever crashes there in the whoever they hit. Yeah, there, the there tends to be more survivors from the train crash usually. <laughs> um, luckily, crashes in both cases are pretty rare. Uh, yeah, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's like you know. Those, in fact, George Carlin used to have a bit about that. You know, when they're up there talking about you know, in case of a water landing, your your uh, your seat cushion will become a flotation device. And he goes, water landing. Water landing. I didn't see any pontoons on that plane. What you're talking about is a crash. <laughs> no water landing. Yeah. This besides, is not there are no a, lakes down here. Yeah. I look out the door and there's this hard dirt out yeah, there. Yeah, this is not a this is not a float plane. <laughs> Seven thirty seven is not a float plane. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, old George yeah. had some good ones. Yeah. Anyway, uh, you were uh, you were talking about different battery right, technologies. Right, so different, different storage stuff. And so um, Toyota is one of the manufacturers that has explored um, uh, hydrogen cars, and they have one that they sell exclusively here in Southern California. And I think that's just because that's the one place that they have some infrastructure for refueling. Um, but then uh, there was also an article talking about solid hydrogen. Um, I think that the the uh, the hydrogen car. Well, in fact, I think I told you. Uh, I'm trying to see if I sent you the the link or something, or if I just told you about it. But there's a gas station that they've been doing some work on and refurbishing, and they added another set of pumps. And I thought it was pretty amazing here in town that I, as I drove by, one set of pumps was hydrogen. So mm-hmm. there's a hydrogen refueling place, uh, you know, a couple blocks from my house now. Oh, really? So it's like, hey, a hydrogen car for for at least local commuting would is is becoming viable. But those you know? are liquid hydrogen, hydrogen, right? I don't know how that's stored. I assume it's liquid hydrogen, yes. So they probably got a high-pressure tank. And, uh, of course, I just saw recently a, 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 a documentary on the Hindenburg, which made me think, hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the thing about the, the liquid. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's why solid-state storage is, is the ultimate. Right, and, yeah. And, in, in, in fact, the one you're talking about, there's a there's a, a a nice review of that by somebody who I trust a lot. I forgot his name, but anyway, he went to critique the thing. But the problem is, is that he's still lacking a lot of information because I'm sure this company that built the solid state uh, battery, uh, which actually is a thin film, very the reason it's light is you you, you need to put something on a surface. That can be scratched off, or uh, it's actually not scratched off. It's burned off by a laser beam. Yeah. And then it resto- that restores the hydrogen gas yeah. directly from the solid. The guy that was and, in this article's name was Matt Farrell, and in, yeah. uh, he, he, he's, the article's called Solid Hydrogen Explained Again, Is It the Future of Energy Storage? And there's it, a video, and then there's also an article that you can read. It's on uh, the Undecided website. Yeah, I, I'm I'm very excited about this. I, the problem is, is that what are the uh, tall poles in the tent yet? Because right. it's not it's not real at this point in time. At least I haven't seen any. Yeah, if it is, verific- the company's not talking about it because they've got some proprietary information that they need to get protected legally before they start talking about how they're doing it. But Ex- exactly, yeah, the company's called Plasma Kinetics. Right, that's the one. Yeah. Yep. And they and they basically are storing using hydrogen that's stored in a metal hydride, and then they're pulling the hydrogen back out to use as an energy source by basically creating a super high temperature, a plasma, to then separate the hydrogen from the from the metal hydride, so that you'll basically have this metal hydride, this powder, the uh, the the metal. Is what remains as a waste product, and then the hydrogen is released. But you can put a lot of hydrogen density into a small amount of of, of physical uh, structure. I mean, hydrogen is the, the smallest, lightest. Well, well, and and the being a solid state, when you go to the to the gas station, if you will, you can go up to the counter and get a cartridge, basically, right? Of just that you carry out the door and put it in your car and. Mm-hmm. Plug it in. 
Yeah. I mean, think, that's think of something that. that's sort of like your um, – a, a lot of refrigerators have a water filter that you like stick in and twist to put the water filter in. Well, think yeah. of something like that where you take the cartridge out, you give it to them, they give you a new one, you go back out to your car, you stick it in and twist and lock it in and you're ready to go. Yep. Yep. So it, it sounds absolutely unbelievably uh, great. But, yeah. you know, there's there's some gotchas that only in, that only time will tell. But it's getting close, I think. Mm-hmm. And maybe in a couple months we'll know more. But uh, anyway, it's something that uh, – uh, Yeah. Well, what's been... interesting is is that they're actually using a metal hydride hydrogen system, but it's not in a car. It's been used oh. in German submarines since 2003. Oh, yeah. Uh, by the way, metal hydride batteries have been around a long time. Yeah. I mean, you can go to the store and buy them today. Yeah, but know? this isn't a battery. They're talking about that I there's know. a German submarine that is hydrogen-powered that uses a metal hydride I... generating system and, and storage system. And so that fuel cell that they're running is, you know, uh, it's it's allows them to, instead of using a... Um, a uh, nuclear system to have very dense storage of energy in a solid hydrogen fuel cell. Yeah. Uh, You know, they they keep referring to this as metal hydride, but if you actually go listen to the talk by this guy you'd mentioned, right. uh, It, uh, to me is a bit nuanced. Uh, Metal hydride might not be the best description because the process is what matters here. Uh, more than anything, in that uh, it there are a lot of different hydrides. It's not just right. Just not yeah, one. it's a generic term. It's a generic term, and, and I suspect and that when so, it becomes a a product, it will have you know product names that will make more sense. Yeah, and and so you're working at the monec- excuse me molecular level in terms of how this actually uh, comes about, such such that this laser, which is uh, the first ones that they built, they put on a disc just like laser discs uh, because the laser was already there and it was had enough energy apparently to, to release the, uh, the uh, hydrogen gas. And so uh, it's, uh, it's a not, nothing but a surface. And now they're putting it on a, on a film cartridge, the, the, the layer that gets melted off by lasers just because they can make a much larger surface and therefore a larger storage device. But as, as it's used, this laser may go back and forth. I didn't see any detailed descriptions of that so that it burns the stuff off of the film as it moves the cartridge at a very slow rate uh, or whatever rate you need to get the, the hydrogen out. Uh, and I, ha- I have no understanding of how quickly that hydrogen appears and and how much you can actually get out in volume. You know, there's a lot of little numbers like that are missing from the reports at this point. Mm-hmm. But but it's it's clear that it's been used and and demonstrated at, in the lab level. Now that can sometimes mean up to ten years away, you know, right. or maybe longer even. But you know, hopefully because of the exposure it's getting at this point, it's somewhat closer than that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting because this guy has some clarifications in here. And he says the first one is, you know, he, he answers the question, have they created prototypes and had third-party verification? They have created small working prototypes which could pow- which power like a light or a fan from a fuel cell. Currently, it's a lab benchtop scale. 
and and the third party verification has been verified by the Department of Energy, Department of Defense, Hughes Research Center, Nottingham University, Cranfield University, University of Arizona. So you know there's there's a whole big long list of them, all with favorable results. And you uh, know when I when I heard about that, that what took took me back to when I was in the Air Force. Uh-huh. You have access to a lot of information that the general public doesn't when right. you're talking to contractors because they're trying to sell these things to you. And so then you got the information, but then you can't tell anybody else. <laughs> right. You're not supposed to anyway. Right. Well, and then he says that the big problem is, is they hold their technology very proprietary. There's not a lot of public information available. Um, and so um, so that's part of it. Now, then uh, apparently there was some sort of a ban on their technology. And they say that essentially what it was is they were doing some stuff for the defense department. And so be- this is this was separate from that. But because of that, there was a two-year uh, hold put on their stuff by the government so that the government could evaluate it and see whether or not it had any um, – uh, uh, what's use, the word? Military uh, yeah, use. Yeah. Since, you know, and so mil- military uses and, 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 and if there was anything they were going to like ban for, for, you know, um, there are things that the government bans for uh, use outside the country and stuff. They don't want to share the technology with other places. And so they're evaluating that. And, uh, and so there was a series of, of challenges that they had to overcome in terms of going through the bureaucracy to say whether or not this was something that they had to do. Um, and and then lastly, yeah. they said um, they, they had said that they collect hydrogen from smokestacks and the air. And and for him, he said it wasn't explained very well. Again, this could be part of their proprietary stuff. But he says they're not talking about smokestacks like coal-fired power plants, but other facilities that have hydrogen as a byproduct. And this could be the case of like natural gas uh, reforming or waste from incineration plants and things like that. But, you know, that's how they're collecting hydrogen from the get-go. And that might, again, be part of their proprietary stuff because it's not well explained. And so, you know, he has questions there. But, again, if they've got something that's proprietary and they don't have all of their legal, um, uh, you know, ducks in a row to protect this stuff, they don't want to tell people how it's done because if they do, other people will just go steal their ideas. And so they, they need to have the, the uh, you know, patents and stuff in place so that um you know that they can protect themselves and that that makes sense and quite honestly that yeah. takes more time sometimes than you know when you have a great idea then you got to be frustrated because you got to sit on it for a while while you get all that stuff in a pl- in 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 place and then there's there's well, specific things too because when you patent it then it's public information so you've got to be careful yeah i I'll, I'll tell you from personal experience uh while i had a contract with a major government contractor that had number of subs, and I went to visit one of these subs, which was a small business in Canada, and their technology was was fast, very interesting, and it was kind of at the top of our list for the application, military application, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they came back to me uh, complaining that the that the uh, major contractor that they were subbing to was trying to steal their technology. In other words, yeah. we'll not, cut out the middleman. Yeah, we, we, we've, you've got given, uh, they've given full disclosure in order to get the subcontract. And then the contractor, uh, you know, tries to renege on this signed yeah. agreement. So, uh, I don't know if it ever went to court, but I was obliged as the manager of this contract to, to take it off to our contracting people Mm-hmm. Because I'm sure they 
run into this stuff before sure. and report what I knew about it so that the government's uh, business of enforcing stuff so that we, did, we didn't get in the midst of a legal battle here. Right. Uh, that, that that small company's interests were protected, yeah. in fact. And, you know? and sadly, that happens a lot. You know, there's a, a lot of innovation is done by small companies testing and evaluating stuff. And then they partner with a larger company in order to produce it or take it large, you know, or, or, or in case of government the, contracting, the big company has the the primary contract. And yeah. then the big company looks at what the little company is doing and says, well, you got to show us that, it, you know, what it does in, in order for us to work with you. And once they see it, they go... Well, we could just do that ourselves, you know, and yeah. then the little countries companies left, you know, screwed basically. By, by by the way, that still intrigues me what this product is, and it, uh, so I'm going to describe it right now because I won't identify any companies involved. Mm -hmm. But what it amounted to was a, a a system that you could bury underground, and when and 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 it was designed such that if any any uh, animal or human being, or any water source mm -hmm. was in the vicinity of this this device that was buried. And when you uh, say water the, source, animals and human beings are, what, 80% water? Yes. Right. Yes. So what it would tell you is that there, a water source is, here it comes, it's getting close to me, now it's over, you know, it's, just, it's got a maximum if you look at the curve, and then as right. I go across it, it gets smaller. It was so good that by having different types of objects in the test go across it, that you could tell if it was a mouse or an elephant. Mm -hmm. I mean, an elephant is a long way from it, but still the fact that it had big little legs. They had characterized this thing to the point that if anybody tried to break in, I was in the business of physical security at the time, if anybody tried to come in, they wouldn't even know where they were detected. But boy, you could tell how big the thing was, whether it was a, within the range of a real person, you know, right. when they crossed that area. And they had no idea how much you knew about them before they ever got beyond that distance. Right. And so you, you still had the security fences and all these other things, but this other detector was important. And, you know, we were considering whether we should put them outside of the fence so that you know they're coming to the fence or whether they go inside, you know, how, how the overall system would use right. it. Yeah, you know, and so, but I thought it was an absolutely phenomenal detector. I'd never heard of a water. This, uh, yeah, uh, you know. Now they they could have known about it. Uh, pe people worry about such things because there are there are automatically electromagnetic waves, of course, that it's using to mm -hmm. to get this information. Yeah, but uh, uh, and of course the frequencies and all of that have to. Are, are important mm -hmm. and how how it 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 kind of like worked like a radar in the sense that you could get a readout of of uh, some information that came back from the signal that you sent out in order to, exp to to find out if there was some water in the area. So it was a it was a really interesting technology, and I don't know where it is today. That was many years ago, but it uh, it had lots of potential for the future. And this little company knew that, you know, they, it wasn't just physical security. It was just all kinds of uh, things you could do with it. So anyway, I, I diverged there, but I just thought it was so such an interesting thing. <laughs> yeah.
because you know, we actually, when we were up there at the site, we actually went and walked over it and watched other people walk over it and see what the signals that were returned from the system so that you could, that helped to identify and characterize uh, who, how much, you know, stuff was moving across the, the earth there. And so uh, we had a, about a half a dozen different things of different sizes and you could, you could see them on there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, uh, let's see. I'm looking at, it's interesting. I'm looking, I went to the plasma kinetics website and they are taking pre-orders for delivery in 2023 of, uh, uh, for commercial customers for their hydrogen, uh, what do they call them? Cassettes. And uh, they're like for small mobile applications provided in lots of 20 cassettes, total dollar value of $5,390. 7,000 kilograms of hydrogen storage at 380 kilogram system weight. Ah. That sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, and then they've got stationary applications where they've got larger canisters, and those are you know up to a couple hundred thousand dollars. Sure. So uh, they've got three different uh, sizes, and they also talk about um, uh, uh, delivery for Defense Production uh, Production Act deliveries. So there are some that are being delivered to the government as well. Well, um, but they don't talk about how much or what that is, obviously. I, I, I don't know how much of that is needed, let's say, for a car. But uh, I did say after that. <laughs> that first that's where discovery, my brain went immediately. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, but that was the way I first encountered this. And I said, how, how could Toyota, who's the only company out there that's building, currently building uh-huh. uh, hydrogen cars, uh, and uh, what, what they would need, to, uh, you know. I'm, I'm just wondering if if Toyota will be announcing a a new model of hydrogen cars yeah. that use solid state stuff. You know. Yeah. How, how well, can and, that and you know, be? I mean, being a bit of a an Apple company fanboy, um, uh, you know, I wonder too. Is like, you know, would that be something that they would be doing in in order to try to jump ahead of, you know, all the battery people out there, right? That sounds like something Apple would like to do, right? Be it make a splash. Oh yeah. Yeah, be so. at the front of, of a newer technology that really has a lot of advantages over the other one. Yeah. You know, uh, it, you know, it, for the longest time, it, well, well, I don't know how to, to, to characterize this, but I'd say six to ten years ago, there was a, a, a feeling amongst most technologists that it was a, a toss-up between uh, the battery uh electric battery car versus the hydrogen car, which could be either a battery or or the uh, hydrogen generated, you know, stored at the time they were thinking stored liquid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and Toyota thought that that was good enough, even with the stored liquid, to, in order to, consu- they're, they're uh, currently to selling, pursue the hydrogen. Yeah, they're currently selling the Mirai. Um, as there's, there's an XLE and a limited version. The XLE starts at $49,500. The limited is $66,000. They're not cheap. Um, but they are hydrogen vehicles. Uh, they get 400 miles, um, per fill up, uh, roughly, um, you know, so they've got good distance. And of course you have to find a hydrogen place to fill them up. Hydrogen facility. Of course, like I said, I've got one around the corner from me now. 
uh, zero emissions, complimentary fuel for up to six years or $15,000, whichever comes first. So, but, do you, so but, built but into I'm, that I'm, price I'm, is gas. <laughs> I, I I I would bet that the not, that has nothing to do with solid state hydrogen. Oh, not at all. No, in fact, it's got hydrogen fuel tanks that are are carbon fiber wrapped and polymer lined. Right. You know, I mean, right. it's it's, it's five thousand pounds of pressure. Yeah. So. Yep. So that, that that's the little bomb you get to sit on. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we're all sitting on storage of energy somehow in our cars, <laughs> so it's just a yep. matter of you know what do you trust. Yeah. Um, I haven't heard about any Mirais blowing up on the road yet. I've heard a few Teslas yeah. go up. So, you know, yep. I mean, right. it's it's just, you know, what, what what's your level of risk and how, how comfortable do you feel with the technology? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're at, still at the front edge of this mm-hmm. whole, you know, technology competition. But I think there's a breakthrough here such that I wouldn't bet everything on the uh, uh, current batteries anymore. I mean, uh, there, there's a variety of batteries that, that yeah. may com- be more competitive than the uh, 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 what's it called lithium batteries. Lithium ion, yeah. Uh, I think yeah, that I think that we're on the right track in terms of it's going to be uh, an electric cars are the future, but how we store the energy for that electricity has yet to be determined. Yeah, and and I would go back and and refer people back to this uh, uh, this other car. Uh, what did I call it? Uh, the zero the, uh, light year, um, light year zero. Right. As as a as a candidate for lots of ideas yeah. that we'll see in the future. The number one thing is that these uh, these motors that they have concentric with the wheel hub that that saves all kinds of weight. You got to get the weight out. Right. Yeah. And, and so that's well, important. and there's lots of different electric ideas out there, and a lot of them are still running through some sort of a transmission. Um, you know, whereas others are using direct drive motor to the to the wheel. Um, like I said, that's more efficiency, less less uh, friction in the system that eats away at your your uh, energy use. The um, the zero, the light year zero, is a um, uh, is a non-production vehicle. The Lightyear yeah. One has been announced for shipping in 2003, but it's the, the company's based in Norway, and so they're going to sell in Norway and Europe first. But these are a couple hundred thousand dollar vehicles, is what they're talking. Yeah, yeah. That I'm, I'm not saying that that car. I'm just saying right. The some of you know some of these things that they have done are more meaningful than others, and so there will be different uh, combinations uh, from other companies that. Right, uh, that actually get produced. It's an exciting time in cars because they're it, they're trying really lots is. of different things, and and it's going to be interesting to see what, uh, you know, ends up working in the long run. <laughs> yeah, I, I I would be less hesitant to buy an EV than I would have been uh, three four years ago, like your uh, uh, brother in law. You know, yeah, it's not my brother in law; it's my uh, sister in law's brother. Which... Yeah, that's like I get. I'm all messed up yeah. with the relationship. But yeah. Anyway, you're right. But yeah, uh, yeah. Monty bought one of the Model uh, Three Teslas, and I shortly after he got it, he let me drive it, and uh, I was impressed. Yeah, really and, impressed. And, it's and, a nice and, car. And and and, that, and that's a very reason that Tesla's in such a leading position as they are today. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean they'll stay there forever. You know. They, yeah. They, it, it's a time for testing, and and I don't know that anyone can catch them. Go, going the same route they did. If, if you're going to surpass 
what Tesla's done, you really need a breakthrough like the solid state hydrogen kind of thing uh -huh. that 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 will lead to you know big changes, you know. Mm -hmm. So, I, I'm I'm uh, I'm kind of excited about it. I, I love technologies and it's watching the competition. That that's what's great about our system is that ideas come from all over the place, and uh, it just just makes it interesting. Yep. And see who's going to win the race, you know? Yeah. No, I think that it, it's, it is exciting. It's an exciting time for this stuff. Um, There's some know. pretty kooky ideas that come along, like another one we didn't mention under the large-scale battery storage is it, somebody even was looking at rust as a way to storage, to store information. Now, yeah. I, I, you know, you almost laugh out loud about some ideas, but you just don't know until somebody's really taken it seriously and said, ah, yeah, we know how to take iron and make rust, and then we can take that rust and reconstitute it, you know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, back to, to real metal. And uh, in all the meantime, you know, the, the energy transfer, uh, you know, is basically a storage mechanism. Yeah. The, well, uh, but it's interesting to see people exploring all different options, right? Right. But until they've actually done experiments to find out what the efficiencies are of these transition processes and all of that, you don't really know the answer. And you can't laugh at anything up front because you might just be throwing away the, the winner, you know, until you got the real numbers. Mm -hmm. That's why labs are so important and trial is a big part of, tech, of development. Uh, that's, that's what makes science science is the fact you don't know the answers uh, you know, along uh, the way. Uh, in fact, uh, the 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 COVID thing in the medical profession has been a real challenge because of the fact of what we didn't know and what we're learning as we move along. And I, I feel embarrassed for some of the doctors who had to go out and stand like the Fauci's uh, and and make recommendations in that. While, while this is all going on, because you have a low ch probability of being right, you know, because you don't have all the data. The yeah, data's coming yeah, there's in. a lot of people attacking, you know, Fauci these days. That seems to be in uh, in vogue. And it's like, yeah. well, he was in a no-win situation, you know. Oh, yeah. I oh, mean, yeah. it was like, well, what do you think is going to happen based on, on other types of things that happen similar to this? That's about uh, all he can the, do. The, the, yeah, the, the only thing that, that might have helped him from a publicity standpoint would have been to couch every speech with a at least a front line, a statement that basically says, you know, we're we're looking at the data today, but more data is coming in all the time, and the story could change, folks. Yeah, you know, yeah, that would have provided a little bit of cushion at well, least. Because, but even if he truth. did say that, the news wouldn't carry that because that's not interesting, and exciting, or controversial. So you know, that's that's right. What because they today, actually play in the sound bites is never. To your benefit, it's to what they think will get eyeballs looking at their yeah. show or their website or and, whatever. And, and they're always asking for predictions. For yeah. Anybody who's foolish enough to be uh, a predictor, <laughs> even weather guys catch this all the time, you yeah. know, because you can't be right 100% of the time. You, you just hope that what your data Pr provides is right a high yeah. percentage of the time. Otherwise, you're going to get criticized. Yeah. Well, that's the joke in Southern California. The weatherman has to come in twice a year, and they just then replay it, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like it doesn't matter what he says. It's like it's going to be sunny and hot. 
See you tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you know, in the yep. winter you go. It's going to be cloudy and dry. You live in a desert. By the way, I, I enjoyed the uh, uh, input that you provided amongst all these things where the guy that was uh, a scientist and he was kidding around and sent this picture oh, of yeah. a slice of chorizo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the guy posted it, on Instagram a, uh, a picture uh, supposedly of the um, uh, Alpha Centauri. Of a moon, wasn't it? He, he said it was, it was he, he titled it, you know, it was from Alpha, a photo of Alpha Centauri from the new. Um, um, uh, James Webb Hubble? Space Telescope, the yeah. new one, the new new James Webb, and then oh. he admitted later that all it was was a piece of chorizo that he'd sliced off and was sitting on a black background. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, and and when you looked at the picture, you said, "Gee, that sure looks like a, a interesting planet." You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was the, it was a sun. I mean, it was a you yeah. know it was a sun. So you know you can't say, "Okay, well maybe that was you know it looks similar to the pictures of like you see of our sun that they show right with." Oh, it looked very spacey. Yeah, it was like, it's like, oh yeah, question. it's a slice of chorizo sausage. Well, that's 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 <laughs> I think how he got the idea. He's, he took somebody took this picture and he's looking at it, or maybe somebody else yeah. gave it to him. I don't know uh, yeah. how it came about, but. Uh, I can imagine, and, yeah. he, and he, he looked at it and says, well, that sure does, you know, yeah. that sure looks spacey. And so he got this chuckle and pickle yeah. in his mind and said, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a game here. Yeah, picture of Proxima Centauri, <laughs> the nearest star to the sun, is located 4.2 light years away from us. It was taken by the James Webb Telescope. This level of a detail, a new world is unveiled every day. And that's what he put out on Twitter was this picture. Yeah. yeah. And then he came out later and went, yeah, that was a piece of sausage. Yeah. Scientists aren't supposed to joke around. Right? Yeah. I, I really serious. hope I really hope that, like, somebody doesn't come down on him and, and punish him because, you know what? We needed a chuckle. Yeah. The world yeah. needed a chuckle. And I thought that was that was perfect. It was hilarious. Well, well, we do, especially <laughs> with all the idiots out there who are so sensitive yeah. about things, you know? I yeah. Mean, when when he posted his his explanation, he goes, well... When it's cocktail hour, cognitive bias seems to find plenty to enjoy. Beware of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. He goes, according to contemporary cosmology, no object re- related to Spanish charcuterie exists anywhere other than Earth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Uh, I love that. You know, and he fessed up to it. He didn't let it go too long, you know, which is that was the best part. He went it long, yeah. let it go long enough to get oohs and ahs and then come back and go, ha ha. Yeah. You know, the only thing that would have been maybe even better is, you know, save it and do it on April 1st. But, but yeah, that would have been, that would have been a good time. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but I like, I like the fact that some, you know, somebody who's in a, in a serious, you know, physics and studying of science position yeah. has a little bit of fun with it and, and can, can sure. make a joke. You know. Well, it was it it was probably the people that he sent it to that actually posted it because he you know you 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 usually select your friends to to do something like that because right. they understand you know yeah but you put uh, it out on Twitter then, anybody can, anybody who follows you can see it so right right yeah. so somebody somebody who wasn't intended to be part of the right. the joke Etienne Klein is a French scientist that's the guy who posted it yeah Etienne uh-huh. Etienne at the end, I don't know. Klein, I can say Klein. <laughs> uh, yeah, obviously not not a French uh, speaking no. person am I, 
But uh, I just, yeah, like I said, I hope uh, he's a celebrated physicist and he's director of France's Alternative Energies and Atomic Energy Commission. So he's not a nobody. Um, That's right. And so, I, you know, like I said, I hope that nobody comes down on him politically or anything because I think that was just hilarious. That was perfect. Yeah. He has 91,000 followers on Twitter. And so pretty <laughs> funny, pretty funny. Good for him. Yeah. Anyway, I think we've kind of come to the end of the, the different things that we had yeah. prepared to look at. And, I think uh, so. I've almost, yeah, it's not quite 1 o'clock, 20 till, huh? Yeah. Well, but, I'm sitting here looking like, is there anything, um, you know, uh, just doing a quick look on the technology uh uh, news feed from Google to say, is there anything that's interesting that we, you know, need to talk about? Rumors are that Apple's going to uh, update its uh, its its HomePods and reintroduce a larger HomePod, which is cool. Um, but you know, it remains to be seen. That's just a rumor, so we'll see what they actually do. Well, the key key to its price, you know. But yeah, exactly. Au- yeah, audio audio files will still. You know, since they just have turned off the development of their other one, I'm sure they've figured out a way to manufacture something very similar for a lot less money. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, initially, 350 bucks for one of those things was like, you know, the people who were willing to spend 350 bucks on a speaker weren't going to buy a smart speaker. And and the rest of us were like, but the Amazon thing does it for, you know, $25. <laughs> and, yeah, and it sounds a lot better. I mean, you know, but but still. Um, the thing is too, and I don't think this was emphasized enough with Apple was that if you want those things to sound good buy two, pair them, if you pair speakers, whether they're the big ones or the small ones, a pair sounds so much better than an individual speaker or individual speaker unit because there's lots of speakers inside the, the and, and, you know, I'm, I'm quite happy with the little ones because, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't hear well anyway. Right. You know, even with my hearing aids on. I actually, if I want to listen to the best quality, uh, I plug in my uh, my uh, Beats uh, earpods. Right. You know, and oh, th- I just think that's wonderful. Yeah. You know, it beats the heck out of one in a room. Why listen to the room noise? Just stick it right in your ear. You know? Right. <laughs> yeah, play it right into your ear, and then you're not bugging anybody else. But, you know, it depends on what you're doing. I like. I, like, um, I have several uh, uh, AirPods and a couple AirPod or HomePods rather, and HomePod Minis uh, in the house. And I sometimes will have them play music on all of them, so it's through the whole house while I'm, you know, excuse me, while I'm cleaning or doing something like that. So it's nice to have some background music that way. But that said, like when I do yard work and stuff, I put my AirPods Pro in my ears and block out the noise while I'm, you know, mowing the lawn or doing yard work. Yeah. By the way, I uh, when I, I went to a conference down at the convention center uh, Saturday, mm-hmm. and uh, they broadcast, uh, well, in this convention hall, it's so big that if you're not right up in front of the speaker. He's really tiny. And so they have a big, these big monitors throughout the convention center with speakers beside him. So I was back a ways, and I could see this monster picture of the speaker right in front of me. Well, one of the speakers, he happened to be uh, about two foot taller than most people. I'd say he's above seven foot. I don't wow. know whether he's eight foot or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he happens to be the... Uh, the head guy that runs the uh, Benedict, uh, excuse me, the Abbey that's down the road a piece from us. 
and uh, anyway, uh, in his biography, he used to play basketball, and I said, "Surprise, surprise!" Yeah, <laughs> you know. But I don't know if he was uh, all that good, but you know, he's an older man now, but and he got a very prestigious job. But uh, anyway, the key to it is first thing when he stood up after his wife and she had the microphone on the podium and it was just set down for her. He has to put it up, you know, so he can, can see it. And I just was amazed at his size. It was a big, such contrast between his wife and himself. And then I uh, noticed that in his right hand, which was a big hand, he had this monstrous iPad like thing. I have no idea what it really was, whether it was an iPad or who built it, but it was at least 16-inch uh, thing. I'm, you know, I'm thinking, is that a prototype of the new Apple iPad? Uh, I don't know. Probably you know? not. University will buy him whatever he wants. I mean, that's just, you know, somebody in that position. So somewhere he got this screen, and he's using it for his notes. Uh and, and he was talking from it, you know, as he's holding it in his hand and just based on the size of his big hand, uh, you know, my hand kind of goes maybe halfway across a 12 inch thing. His didn't even come close to halfway across. This was such a big pad. I, I was, I'm, I'm really curious as to what he had, but there's, there's a big ones, some big ones out there somewhere. Hmm. So, yeah, you know, I we, don't know who's kind of. I don't know whose it would be, but it's it's. I don't think it was an Apple product. No, I don't think so. But we, we you know, there's been rumors uh, that they're now looking at 14 and 16 inch sizes because that's what you can get with the notebooks, you know. And so they're already basically building the panel for that type of display on a computer. Why not do it on an iPad? You know, the weight would be the primary consideration, I think. Yeah, uh, but that's mostly driven by the by the battery weight, I think, you know, uh, don't you think there's a, a big, heavy battery in each of these iPads? Well, because I don't know about, you need a, I don't know about heavy, but yeah, it's large. You know, you, you need the bigger battery to drive that display. And if the display is bigger now, you got to have a bigger battery yeah, for that. More, so yeah. You got to have more energy, right? So, uh, it's probably pretty heavy, but as big as that guy was, he could lift it me off the floor easily. <laughs> so anyway, I was just an aside there. I, I, I couldn't believe it that yeah. uh, he had this monster in his hand. Yeah. I don't know what and, I, I'm sitting here looking at, at like, uh, I did a search for like large tablets and none of them. I mean, the biggest ones are, you know, 12.3 inches. There's a, a, a Google pixel slate, uh, 11, 12. I mean, there, there's none any bigger than the one you've nothing got. Nothing bigger. Yeah. That yeah, I that's see. what I thought. So who that's, knows that's what, what it I was. Thought. And, it may and, have and, been uh, a specially designed tablet that then works, you know, like um, uh, like industrially designed to work as the interface to a specific screen or something. So if he was like writing on a screen or something like that, I don't know. Yeah, it could have been. Could have been. Uh, maybe, maybe it's not even a tablet in the sense that we're that we're aware of, you know, right. That's what I'm saying is it's, it's, it's a tablet like device, but it, it's not a general function tablet. Like we're using, it's one specifically tied to as, as an interface to something. 
maybe. I you know, I don't know. I mean, we could sit here and, you know, guess, but yeah. Well, what one thing that just occurred to me, what if it was just nothing but cardboard and there was a paper on the other side? <laughs> I don't know what yeah, he was reading. Yeah. I didn't see a screen, you know. Yeah, yeah, it could <laughs> could have been a clipboard. Those have been around for a while. Technology's well tested. Yeah, it just occurred to me that you know, yeah. it didn't have to be a tablet because yeah. I didn't see a screen. I just saw the back side of it and it yeah. had that kind of aluminum color, you know. Mhm. So uh, Yeah. Normally if you think of a notebook or something it's black or Yeah. You know, no, I've else. I've got a uh I've got a uh, uh aluminum clipboard that I use specifically at uh, swim meets and stuff. So it's I got something that was, you know, not going to have trouble getting wet if it got splashed because, you know, a lot of those yeah. uh, particle board clipboards, the brown ones. Uh, yeah, the more I think about it, that has to be what it was. Yeah. Has to be. Yeah. So anyway, I think I think we solved the problem there. <laughs> <laughs> Solution. So. All right. Well, why don't we call it a day? Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We will be back again next week. Hope you have a wonderful week. Dad, you have a wonderful week, too. You too, Todd. And we'll uh, we'll talk See to you, on you Monday. all next Monday. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All Take right. care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.